0: This is Coda Radio, episode 304, for April 9th, 2018. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, Digital Ocean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Well, my name is Chris, thank you so much for asking, but it's not about me. No, it's about our host, who's hunkered down in Florida for a special episode. Hello, Mike. Misa here. You made it! I thought for sure Mike had you locked up somewhere because we had a whole Slack thread about locking you back into a closet. I distinctly remember that you were locked in a closet just five minutes ago. I don't know how you do it, Jar Jar.
1: Misa can't be contained.
0: <laughs> well, Misa Mister... like Miley
1: Cyrus twerking. Oh.
0: Well, but Mr. Jar Jar, you're gonna have to step aside because we have a special episode of the Koda Radio Program this week. I've got no links. I've got, uh, I got no tabs. I got no hoopla. I got no feedback. I got no tools, no book picks. Got nothing. I got nothing because it's it's sort of an introspective episode this week, and we wanted to kind of clear the decks and just sort of uh, you know air it out and just kind of let happen what happened. And so Mike and I are just going to sit here quietly. Um, and just do some work today and you guys can, li- Oh wait, no, no. Okay. <laughs> would that be funny if we could do amazing.
1: Actually just put like a camera. You're yeah. Reading some video while yeah. We're doing some yeah. Yeah. It just
0: basically us clicking and typing the whole time. And like every now and then one of us like, Oh Jesus, stupid thing. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, sort of think we should do that next
0: week. I know it'd be after this week's episode, we may need to, um, I guess in some ways, if you're going to name, if you're going to give it one subject this week, it's really kind of about failure. Uh, like hard lessons learned and really sort of actualizing and realizing failure. Um, and, and some of the personal and, uh, business costs that you've experienced from some real failures that have happened to you, uh, from a little while ago. And it's why now? Uh, because this all, ha- I think what we're going to talk about happened a little while ago, right? Yeah.
1: We're, this happened in 2014, actually. Yeah, um, and and the reason why now is you know I listen to a lot of tech podcasts, and over the last few months, um, a lot of folks seem to be doing victory laps where they talk in somewhat vapid terms about like how they do what they do, mm. which is fine, but I, I find that like deeply not helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, I've noticed in- too. It's it's like uh, well, there's a several new series of podcasts that have launched looking at entrepreneurs or things like that that are right, yeah.
1: Right, and I'm, I mean, I am of the opinion that actually, like,
0: failure is a better teacher
1: than success, sort of because failure, you know, success, for one thing, is not easy to define, right, while failure is much, much, much easier to define. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Additionally, you know, I don't think we would all agree on what success actually is, other than, like, the materialistic trappings of it. And, and frankly, I like, and you can just like Google around, you know, open your overcast or whatever pod text section. Many of these come off as a little, I want to say unrealistic and preachy. Um, you know, an example of the line of reasoning I often see is like, we were, you know, company X was successful, you know, we you know, there's it, it, it. It's the it's the Steve Jobs with uh, Michael Fassbender version of the truth, right? <laughs> it is very edited and very inaccurate. Yeah, um, like it highlights. I'll go. I'll give you just like a, a vague example. Most of them follow a certain theme, right? We did something, then we, you know, we just had like a just like a gut, you know, man, Chris, you know, like I just, you know, I woke up and. And, you know, the spirit of the Buddha came into me or some nonsense like that. And then people start talking about like, oh, you know, what? like like HubSpot, like that's not HubSpot is doing this right. <laughs> and they talk about like their weird principles like heart and all that kind of stuff. Um, now they're a very big public company now, so I think it's OK to to tease them a little bit. But like that's often not true in the case of HubSpot. If you actually read Dan Lyons' books, you know that's not true. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's our story is the is the pitch. Right. This is our story. This is who we are. Come meet us. Uh but it is exactly that. It's a story. It's a narrative. Which is why like the Steve Jobs goes uh to India trips on LSD and comes back and invents uh, the mouse which is not true at all. I'm just saying that's the narrative gets set. And then they, people look for stories that reinforce that. And it does sort of create this unrealistic uh, version of what it takes to be successful.
1: Yeah. And I actually think it's quite bad though. Right. Um, uh, You know, if you say things like we're successful because we have heart or like, you know, just like these weird, super vapid kind of soft Mickey mouse sounding things you're telling people who are either younger than you, which I know uh, our audience definitely has a lot of, like, college kids, right? Or who, like, haven't been quite as fortunate uh, as you that it's necessarily, like, a qualitative judgment, right? And considering I've done both, right, I want to focus less on, you know, the success side of things. Not that I'm, like, well, successful, but, like, I do okay, right? Uh, Chris does okay. Me and Chris are in the same sinking boat, uh, I want to talk about like a time I actually straight up failed, right? Like complete failure. Um, and I I think there are more concrete lessons, you know. For, and we can go down a list I have here, but it it worries me how mythologized this. I don't even know what to say. Like pseudo spiritual crap is becoming, because you're setting, like particularly the um, the podcasts and uh, and some of the publications. That are focusing on startups now are setting these expectations of how business tends to work that are just completely unrealistic for the vast majority of people right
0: i agree um and it, it it's though so, so i but i'm not honing in on the damage that you think it creates because uh, it, what it seems to me it's like exaggerating small details into these larger picture pieces that explain a person uh, in four or five concrete moments in their life. Well, let, me, let me let me let
1: me give you a concrete example of the damage it creates.
0: Okay. Um,
1: in the pre-show, you wanted to talk about uh, Zuckerberg before I came on, right?
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, jokingly. Right. So <laughs> I actually but, okay. didn't
1: want to. <laughs> no one does. I. I. If I have to see that guy's face again, I like seriously. Write about something else. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's right. A tech blog here. God. There is an epidemic, and you can actually, like, look this up, a statistical epidemic of, like, teenage um, depression, suicide, and things like that, which is quite awful, right? Because of Facebook. And the thing that's happening is these teenagers are looking at their Facebook friends, and their Facebook friends are giving them, frankly, a bullshit-curated version of their life, and they're feeling inadequate or upset. This is... The business equivalent, what I see these other people doing on their podcast is the business equivalent of that. And I get why being positive might be like a better marketing move, right? I understand that like, particularly in like the area of like development or like, you know, being a dev shop or being a consultancy, differentiation is almost impossible to have. So anything you can claim as a differentiator, you want to do that. I, I understand all of that, Right. Um, and I can't claim that I don't do any of this either, right? We just published a thing called Code Values at the Mad Botter. So, I am not necessarily saying I haven't done any of this ever. It's positioning, right? Saying, Isn't
0: that an important part of trying to establish a brand?
1: Yeah. So, so I think it's almost like uh, a little bit of this kind of thing is necessary. Is mm. how I feel. Okay. But the the like I've heard a few where I actually know the truth. And just the distance between reality and what people are promoting is pretty uh, stark. And and my fear, just to actually answer your question, is that we're going to have a bunch of very young entrepreneurs try to do things. um, And particularly because you know the developer mindset tends to be uh, you know prone to not the best behavior. Although that pool is widening, different types of people are becoming developers now. I think we're going to have young people in particular or people who've been in uh, quote unquote straight jobs and want to try something on their own who have like wildly different expectations yeah. compared to reality and become very hurt or very disillusioned very fast.
0: Yes. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Uh, I have experienced the same thing you have where i I see the narrative around something versus knowing the behind the scenes of how it actually went down. And, uh, The two are very, very, very uh, distant. And there's people, though, that don't know that, that see that and go, oh, so that's how you do it. And they try and they fail. Um, And I don't really think, I think what the problem is, we don't really as, how to put this? See, the issue is when you're trying to get somewhere new, you're, you're trying to aspire, and you look at the people that may be in the position or whatever the case may be and you and you think you see their formula i think it's human nature to try to reproduce it a little bit i think it's a, it's sort of a because we are we're seeking out wisdom we think we found it and it's a real easy trap for people to fall into it's it the onus while it seems like it should be on that new student or that aspiring entrepreneur to figure out um the snake oil salesmen from the people that are putting out real work you would think that works But my hard experience shows me it does not. It's just simply a process of people are desperately seeking out information. And if you don't have the full context of the thing you're trying to learn, you don't know what's bogus. You don't know what's not true. You don't know all of the background. And it's easy to buy this, eat this stuff up and think, oh, okay, that must be true. That must be how it works because look where they are. Look where they are. This must be true. That explains it. And so I think it's really easy to fall prey to. Uh like the human mind I think is particularly engineered to be scammed by that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I I think it yeah, I completely Do
0: you feel like that happened to you to a degree?
1: Um yeah, so so this is gonna be part of it, right? Like do I feel it happened to me? I mean, I think anyone who's starting a business and is very young like I was, is going to look for sources and teachers. I would say that No. But the, i I'd argue that this kind of myth making wasn't as prevalent or at least not either I was unaware of it one, one big thing that's different now is like corporate blogs and podcasts are very big now right a lot of the uh the blogs I'm thinking of and the podcasts in particular I'm thinking of are actually like marketing operations for like shops and consultancies and things like that right um and I'm sure Chris could name a hundred of them off the top of his head but they're <laughs> not they're not the traditional. You know JB or uh, I don't even know if 5 by 5 is still around, but right, not the traditional networks. They're, I mean, is it fair to call them marketing content? Is that?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I, they, I mean, not that they're bad. I enjoy many of them. I'm not, this is not like a value But the, the way to define them is they are generally almost completely financed by the marketing budget in some capacity. Sometimes it's an in house production. Sometimes they outsource to like a firm that does these for a bunch of different companies and they are becoming a lot more prevalent. Uh, some large- right, names and, and, are-
1: yeah, and there, and you know, this is something I've considered doing too, right? And, and the idea is to position your firm as an expert, right? So it's the yeah, same reason you would have a blog. Exactly. Exactly. I used to do the YouTube videos on Docker. Um, yeah. So I guess the answer to that question is no, but I, I will say one thing is very different, um, or at least it's different in my perception. There wasn't the weird vying to be the next Steve Jobs in 2008. And I don't know why people want to do that. I mean, I guess I do know why, but I, I literally saw a dude dressed like Steve Jobs. I, I'm a, this must happen like every six months now, every at, at every tech conference. It's like oh, you got like, to
0: come over to the West Coast, my friend. <laughs> why? How bad is, is I, it? Is it worse? I've seen it in California every time I've gone oh. to California. So that's a pretty high hit rate.
1: That, see, that's to me. Some of this stuff is just so crazy that I figured we could talk about it
0: because, yeah,
1: I don't know. I can't be the only psycho in this business, right? <laughs> but
0: <laughs> you look at, I, mean, uh, let, I look let, at, uh, like your when I mark your, your Mark Zuckerberg's, your Elon Musk, your Jeff Bezos. Uh, these are names that all come to mind now. They're like celebrity CEOs, uh, which I think is also a Steve Jobs phenomenon. I might be wrong on that, but this whole, tech, yeah, I know that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, um, I don't know. To me, it seems like it. I've always hated it because, uh, you know, in a large company that's uh, made up of thousands of people like that, not everything is all on one woman or one man's shoulders. They have they have chiefs that make decisions and they have people underneath them that make decisions. And then they have workers underneath them that are actually executing the actual work and they're doing their own implementations of it. It's it's so complicated. And I've always felt like this. um um Culture of CEO celebrity that we've been brewing now for years has been more about. Pushing a product and selling someone as a as a visionary like Jeff Bezos with his plan to go out into space, right? Uh, same with Elon with the electric cars and SpaceX, and uh, Tim Cook with his focus on health and taking care of humanity and and privacy. Like they're they're all positioning themselves as like these icons for these ideals, and then they come out on stage and everybody claps like crazy, and they're really just a chief salesman. Uh, I mean, internally they're doing things, but. I don't really fully understand the value it, it presents because um, it's not reflective of what it's what a business is actually like, what a company is actually like. It's a it's a complete and total narrative and we all just accept it and buy it. And we're all, like, yeah, OK. All right, cool. Tim Cook just said this on MSNBC over the weekend. Did you hear what Tim Cook said? Yeah, as, as if Tim Cook came up with that entire thing all on his own. Uh, so I, I do definitely agree that this is an issue, but I actually think it it may inspire more people to get into the business than it does drive people away because people want to be Elon Musk. They want, they want to be Steve jobs. They, they want to have those headlines. They want to, you know, be a celebrity because of their great business. I actually think, I don't know if it inspires the right people, but I think it inspires more people to get in. So would you
1: say, so see, I don't mind like, I mean, in fact, I enjoy when Tim Cook goes on MSNBC or CNBC, whichever it was and slaps around Mark Zuckerberg. I think (laughs) that's great. (laughs) We should do more of that, please. Uh but do, do you think it's bad? See, I, I, I wouldn't want to go on the limb of saying like, you know I don't begrudge like the big CEOs their, their fame. I don't I don't think it's necessarily bad. I, I just think they should maybe build more
0: I think it's phony. Know. I think it's phony is what it is. Right. I,
1: I don't like the dishonesty aspect yeah. of it, or what I perceive to be dishonesty.
0: It's it's a it's a dog and pony show that they're putting on for us. And uh, I feel like it's it's one of those things where they're like, well, it'd be too hard for everybody to understand that we have all these departments. So we'll just pretend like it's all the CEO that makes all these decisions. He's a king. He's the emperor. And uh, every day we bring him a list of all the things that need to be decided in the company. And he sits down and makes a decision on every single line item. It's just such crap. But we all pretend like we just OK, that's how it is. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I could see how it definitely misleads when you combine that with these hype stories. Well, we need to tell our story. You know, we have to tell our story around this product. You know, we got to make sure we tell the uh, the pros what the story is for the Mac Pro. Everybody needs to understand that. Um, well, there there's a darker crap.
1: side too, right? Yeah. Theranos, like seriously, there there's an actual dark side to the whole um, myth making thing. What do you think it is? I think it's Theranos, right? I think I think the myth becomes.
0: Oh, I see. So you think? You think that then they're like chasing their own demon that they've created in a sense, like they now now they have to live up to this myth.
1: Well, you hear about that all the time, right? In, in different forms, like you know, overhyped marketing. Um, remember that stupid juice machine that was like,
0: oh <laughs> man,
1: yeah, right? Like it 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 seems to be happening more more and more as we progress, which is bad. But yeah, I, I think. Uh, I don't know what to say, right? Like I, I think unrealistic expectations are bad in almost everything, just like in life, but particularly bad if you're a business owner, right? Because if you have unrealistic expectations to investors or customers, eventually, you know, that is going to catch up with you, right? You're, you're just not going to be able to pull that off forever. I, com- um,
0: I completely agree with that.
1: I do. And if you have unrealistic expectations for yourself – Well, that's just like not psychologically healthy. You are doomed (laughs) to failure. Yeah. Right. right. You're always going to be unhappy. So So, yeah, we we
0: should. Let's pause there. Uh, I want to ask you about what happened in 2014, get that get that side of it, figure out where all this is coming from. So let's mention DigitalOcean. Now DigitalOcean is simplicity at scale. They have a cloud platform that you can spin up on in seconds and get great, great machines that you can deploy across 12 data centers all around the world. Everything is based on SSD drive, so it's it's rocking fast. The disk I.O. is great. And then they have 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, so your network I.O. is fantastic. They have network Network level firewalls so you can block traffic at DigitalOcean's network level, so that stuff never even hits your machine. They have a private networking that doesn't count against your transfer rate, so you can have a front-end caching box with back-end web servers or back-end databases or backup servers themselves. Predictable, easy to understand pricing, and the entire thing is built around developers. An easy-to-use control panel and an API that lets you spend a lot more time getting work done and less time managing your DigitalOcean infrastructure. And here's a great deal. If you go to do.co slash coder, do.co slash coder, no S, you can get a $100 60-day credit. When you create a new account, you can play around for $100 worth of digital ocean rigs. Now that's That's something because my more than enough system that I never tap out because, I mean, I'm just doing like multiple video streams, audio stream conversions, and, you know, running chat rooms and bots and things like that, you know, nothing major, three cents an hour, three cents an hour for that thing. So a $100 credit, you could try out some of their massive CPU optimized systems with the latest Intel Xeon processors. You could try out their flexible droplets where you can mix and match disk or CPU or RAM. It's a really flexible system with great documentation, tutorials for days. Ooh, how to use duplicity with GBG to backup data to DigitalOcean Spaces. Well, isn't that nice? Yeah, DigitalOcean Spaces is another great feature of DigitalOcean. S3 standard, easy to use spaces. You could... Use it connected to your droplet or just spin up a URL space and drop some files on there and send somebody a link and then it'll, you can have it set to self-destruct even. you can just, It's just great for that. They also have block storage, which you can attach to a rig and it just shows up as a device. I love all of that. Pre-built applications, global availability, optimized compute types, and team support. There's so much to enjoy. And then there's tons of good community code built around it. Dio.co slash coder. Go there to sign up and get a 100-day trial. DigitalOcean.com. I've been using it for years. Go see why. DO.CO slash coder. All right, Mr. Dominic. So, kind of walk us through what did happen in 2014. We were doing the show then, right?
1: Yes, we were. Yeah, we were. We started the show in 12.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So,
1: So okay. So, a few, few things that happened before, right? Mm. One, I'm intentionally focusing on the negative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My intent is not to like actively discourage people or anything, but this is just more of a balanced thing. Right.
0: I agree. I think it's good to have that.
1: Right. So I don't, but I don't want to give an impression that's like overly negative. Yeah. That's why I'm saying, uh, so I I started up (laughs) disclaimer. This is my disclaimer. And again, I also did many things correctly, but you know, we're going to focus on the things I did wrong. 2008, I started up fine. Right. Um, really caught the beginning of the iOS SDK, was one of three, like, dev shops, in quotes, doing iOS in New Jersey, which was great. Um, I was a one-man band for a while, occasionally had a person, all that kind of good stuff. And, see, something I didn't... Things were going well. I mean, we all remember 2008. Well, maybe all of us don't, but if you were an iOS developer in 2008, 2009, 2010, really all the way up to, like, 2013 it was, uh, things were pretty good, right? Contracts were coming at you faster than you can do. And because it was so rare, there was a lot of leeway on everything. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting bigger, right? And I decide that it might not be the worst idea to do a little bit of expansion over the years, right? So we fast forward, add a little bit of Android, a little bit of Rails, you know, we got kind of more of a stack thing going on. And I assume you're bringing m- on some people too to help bring it on some people, right. Bringing on some people got offices now. Um, I don't want to say that, 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 that like multi-year period was perfect. And of course, like everybody else in his first year in business, I screwed up my taxes. Right. And I didn't realize how high taxes were. So like I made that mistake, but then you, know, you just pay it and you're fine. Um, yeah. You know, dumb stuff, right. Like forgetting, you know, n- nothing major. So we fast forward into 2014 I think we're roughly fourteen people and we have a pretty heavy division between what I would consider customer service and uh, devs so I think it's almost I think it's almost a half and half actually I think it's a I think at one point it was seven and seven so we we had gotten there by basically making the initial mistake. My early clients were what, and actually I do have a book recommendation, I just didn't link it. Uh, if you've ever read, uh, have you read it, Chris, Joffrey uh, Morris, Crossing the Chasm? I think I've heard of it, but I have not read it. Okay, He talks about different uh, kind of like market personas you can think about, and this is my first blunder. This is, this is what starts everything off a bad road. I failed to realize that the reason I was successful originally was because I was dealing with what uh, Jeffrey Moore calls the visionary. And the visionaries are interesting, right? Because they want to take risk. And, they, and for our purposes, from a technology persp- perspective, they want to be on the bleeding edge. Which is great, right? Because it means a couple things. It means, one... They might be willing to pay more, Um, although another mistake was I was way undercharging. Um, And they tend to be very forgiving on things like business processes and kind of the overhead of dealing with other groups of people, which I'm going to get into. They started to go away. Um, At the same time, prices started rapidly, or I perceive it, this is another mistake. The market I was in, the prices seemed to be rapidly falling. Because now we're in 2014, and there's just like tons of template apps, right? There's yeah. tons of uh, offshore competition. Yep. And I
0: remember talking a lot you, about that.
1: You remember? I remember how I was just desperately scrambling to find a good cross-platform solution purely to cut costs? Yeah. Right. Because if you think about it, if I have a guy who does iOS, a guy who does Android, you know, someone who does Rails, all these people have to be paid, and they're all very specialized. So. I didn't recognize this, right? You got to remember, I'm talking now at four years of hindsight. The first sign was we started getting sort of different customers. Um, These weren't really enthusiastic people because as the market matured, more, for lack of a better term, boring companies were, were wanting mobile apps now, right? And for them, it was new. But they have, I mean, very different requirements if you think about servicing that kind of customer. Uh, let me give you kind of the classics example for years, it was sufficient for me just to like email people. Right. And I actually find that email is one of the most effective ways to communicate with customers because you have something that you can go back to and say, well, I thought you meant this
0: 100%
1: where I got sucked into the world of like go to meeting. Right. Yeah. And while I understand that a lot of businesses just like rely on meetings, I personally find it a bad way to communicate information. And I also found that what would happen is you'd have, I mean, there's one terrible case where it had 14 people in one meeting and it was like that old kid's game of telephone, right? We all knew we agreed to something. No one knew what, what it was.
0: Oh, it's so right? stressful.
1: And that led to more conflicts. So I incorrectly, this is mistake number two decided to hire all these customer service people, uh, which almost doubled us in size pretty fast because one they their my thinking was because they're, they're relatively affordable compared to developers. Right. And it was that they could just absorb the slack in this process. What I didn't understand. And it really, it actually, I've been thinking about this for years and it took me up until like really this year to figure this out. I, Accidentally crossed from the the uh, uh, the tech enthusiast market, right, from the people who want the newest technology, into a more pragmatic market.
0: Oh yes, where they place totally different value on this stuff.
1: Right, but I didn't change my pricing. So one reason that you will find that like dev shops in general even the ones who claim that they like to work with entrepreneurs, but only work with like VC funded entrepreneurs or people who are really going to bet the farm Um, or indeed they prefer to work with big companies is it is expensive to service accounts like that. Yeah. they ex- Which means you just have to charge a lot more. And when I say it wasn't charging enough, I think we had people just coming in at like 60 bucks an hour
0: at the time. Yeah. So it was like
1: grossly under the market. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a totally different kind of customer, so it's it's a more costly customer. So oh, and we
1: didn't bill. Oh, this is the other key. We didn't bill project management time at all.
0: I remember. I, so I, I kind of remember our discussions back then. It's like, well, you you even at some points tried, but they they like would look at you like you're ridiculous. You want us to? That's your job. That's why would we pay for? Yeah, I mean,
1: well, and the and the answer was it it is right, but in that market, you need to be charging more like one hundred and
0: fifty dollars an
1: hour. And then you can afford to yeah. to do that effectively. Uh, the other really dumb thing I did was I structured my and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hate this because I know you do ad sales. I structured my salespeople's commissions such that they got paid for closing the sale, regardless of what happened to the contract. Mm. So what ended up happening, and I'm sure you can figure this out the sales guys were always incentivized to basically say whatever the hell they needed to say to close the deal.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And they would get paid a full commission even if we lost money on the
0: project. Right. Yep, yeah, because they did their job. You didn't retain right. it, but they did, our, they, I mean, they they closed the sale. See, see that's
1: an interesting, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't throw up on that because in my mind, I, I realize what I would do today is you you actually should be paid on retention. And, and here's why. Because what we do was custom, it still is, we had a really nasty thing that kept happening where uh, sales reps would intentionally avoid things that might scare the client, but were material to figure, and remember we were fixed bid at the time too, right? But we were material to what it would actually cost us to do the job.
0: I, I actually am, it does bother me. I'm just not surprised in the least having seen it happen. Um, that is exactly the way it works is, and it's, it's, it's like that through the entire company. It's not just the salespeople. They always go to where their incentives are. Um, and yep. so, uh, one thing I saw because I watched a company, I, I benefited a lot when, uh, before I became an independent contractor, I worked for a company as an employee where I had medical benefits, and they were doing all of the overhead, including experimenting with bringing on salespeople. So I watched them go from no salespeople to a couple of salespeople uh, and watched a couple of people leave and a couple of people come on board. And that same thing happened where the salesperson was really, um, they weren't like trying to scam anybody. They were just very, very much aligned to what their incentive was. And so they would say something because they didn't know technically what was or wasn't possible They would say, yeah, we could do that. No problem. Yeah, we can do that. And then it would come back to us. We're like, holy shit. What did he commit us to? We can't do that. Uh, That would take X and uh, back and forth. But of course, now the customer has been sold on it and uh, it's a good gig and et cetera, et cetera. So what I saw them sort of transform to was some sort of like initial closing deal incentive and then a percentage over a period of time when that customer is retained. And, uh, I remember a lot of people didn't like that outside the sales area because essentially they're taking a spiff off of ever, or a skiff, whatever, off of every client that you have, uh, for doing nothing really after a while is how people saw it. I don't, uh, anyways, I I just know, I don't know if that was the solution, that sort of, um, retainer incentive percentage. But that's what they were attempting at the time when I wrapped up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A solution I thought of, but never ended up implementing, uh, because we ended up, uh, just not having any more salespeople was you would be paid a, like you said, a small commission for closing the initial sale, but your commissions would be reevaluated every quarter based on how many of your projects hit their target for profitability, which, uh, salespeople did not like, right? That, that was very unpopular. And uh, you can imagine what I think of software salespeople. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, one uh, that's actually another, I didn't even have this on the list, but one thing that also changed was it became very hard to get paid for discoveries in 2014. Hmm. And the reason for that, and this was just a pure market competition thing. The bigger shops or shops of roughly my size were just charging a lot more. So they kind of baked that into their structure, right? and the offshore shops just like didn't do discovery. <laughs>
0: they yeah. kind of d- oh no, why bother. Yeah.
1: Why bother. So we ended up having like a very expensive sales process relative to the
0: size of the deals. Sure, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, that is um, particularly challenging. Um still kind of challenging to today, I would imagine actually, that particular aspect. Yeah, that that's that's still well, super challenging. Well, so I have a couple more questions for you. Um okay. because uh the, you know, a lot of what I've heard, which is interesting because of our preamble where we were talking about how setting the story and making these ce- this culture of these CEO celebrities is setting bad expectations for people coming into the market. A lot of what we talked about does kind of come down to expectations, Um, you know, expectations with the sales team, expectations on a lot of like what your customer base was going to be. Uh, so. I think we should probably talk about how you change expectations when your market is maturing uh, and maybe talk about... I have a personal thing that I'd also like to bring up. Um, yep. So we'll do that. But first, let's mention our friends at Linux Academy. They help us keep this show going and we appreciate them so much. And it's, it's a service that constantly gets better. Check it out at linuxacademy.com slash coders. You can sign up there for a free seven-day trial and... Support the show. It's a full featured training library with everything you need to learn new skills and advance your career on all of the technologies built around Linux and the core to essential technologies of Linux itself with hands on scenario based labs that give you real experience on their servers. They have full time instructors, human beings that are there to help you when you need them. And they have a course scheduler that, when you're really busy, is very, very valuable. But check this out it's a big, big launch over at Linux Academy. In the month of April, they're launching 70 new courses, new challenges, and new learning activities. I I knew this was coming. A little birdie had given me a hint, and they'd had some live streams. I kind of knew this was coming, so I, I'm... To actually see it in writing. It's just so underscores how great this company is and how they just keep getting bigger and better all the time. They've really established themselves as a legitimate training platform in the entire industry. So now Linux Academy on the resume looks really good. So that's extremely valuable too. That's why one of the things they've rolled out is public profiles. So as you go through the Linux Academy courseware and you complete different sections, there's essentially like a GitHub style profile that shows the work you've completed. You can add that to the resume or link that to your employer, if, especially if you've got an employer that helps out with uh, funding of the training and you can try it seven days for free at linuxacademy.com slash coders that's linuxacademy.com slash coders and a big thank you to linux academy all right mr dominic so let's chat about changing adjusting expectations because there is a theme here and it's really um busted expectations you know it's almost like misinformed expectations i guess or um what would be another way to put it would be uh Really just sort of being naive expectations. That's probably it. It's naive expectations. Yeah. You, got, you I, don't I, know until you do it.
1: You don't know until you do it. Right.
0: So how do you change them, especially when the market's changing that you're trying to serve?
1: So so there's multiple types of expectations, right? Like I had the expectation that you are doing something with like three people. So, you know, just, you know, multiply by X and that's how big you can be, but run the exact same process. No.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: That's that expectation. Oh man. It, you know, <laughs> nine nine women can't have a baby in, in a month, right? It's that it's the old mythical man-month problem.
0: Yeah, I guess it seems so obvious when you say it. It seems so obvious. Uh uh, but man, I I I made the same mistake. I know, you know, not to make it about me, but I know I made that same mistake and I'm only really just kind of recently figuring it out.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this would be interesting to ask you, because one thing I didn't anticipate was there was a certain... There was, I See, I, I find when you hit certain size thresholds that you actually have to take your process back down to the studs and just say, does this still make sense? And let me give you just like a really quick example. Um, originally, our process for bug tracking was text files in Dropbox. Sure. What the hell? There was like... First, there was just me, right? So... Didn't really matter, Um, and our process for customer communications was email, but which I still stand by email for like formal communications. (laughs) Yeah, but when you have like multiple people on a project and somebody doesn't get CC'd and then ask the same question, the customer gets mad because you're bothering them. Like, there's all kinds of like ways where things break down. Um, like I find you know one to three people runs one way, but once you add that like fourth or fifth person somehow you actually lose efficiency right like the person's not additive i mean they're obviously additive but they're not like 100% additive right cuz someone now has to manage the process it's
0: managing it's it's um it's getting more people to buy off on the idea uh it's additional people who have opinions on how things should be done it's other people who may have other things that are primary um primary motivators in their life and not and work not being one of them i mean there's all kinds right and and, and i i'm i'm just listing a few examples that's just the, the culture begins to change and 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 sometimes for the better when you bring people on and sometimes for for a lot better for quite a while it's it's not always a bad thing but it does it does fundamentally change the team dynamic and when that happens the work yes. changes the product is a reflection of the team of, of the business itself
1: Well, there's there's an old quote about I think it was about Microsoft that like every software company ends up coding according to their corporate structure. Right. right. Oh, right. Which I found was basically true. I'm gonna. I'll go for a second. (laughs) Yeah, you should go with that because you know we. I was very. You see, part of the problem was at that point in my life, I had never actually met like a good project manager, so I did not believe they were necessary. Um, And it turns out that devs in general, except for like super senior ones, aren't the best PMs. Our QA guy like hated one of the developers and vice versa. My dogs also hated him. (laughs) Uh, And, but like, so at some point, like by 2014, we had, I think we'd adopted Jira because that's when we started using Atlassian. And I at one point had to like intervene just on the ridiculous tickets that were being opened like, it would be like, funct- whatever, functionality does not work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But only for this one guy. So that kind of crap really, really took me by surprise. Um, that ended up not working out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so I, I guess I can't find the quote, but maybe somebody listening can send it in or something, because I know exactly what you're talking about. And so I I want to go back just to, you said you, every now and then you feel like you need to strip it down to the studs and sort of re uh, doesn't that seem like, um, like in a way, like you're always going to be hitting the reset button? You're always going to be losing momentum in the direction. You'll always be sort of resetting to uh, to zero, which uh, I mean, not always the case, but I, I do feel like we've done that a bit. Like when we've we've been restructuring some of the shows, uh, changing things up a bit, and like you know, TechSnap is not as big of a show as it used to be anymore. It's growing in a new direction. But, uh, yeah, it used to be a much larger show when Alan and I did TechSnap as a video show. It probably got 20,000 more downloads. Um, that started, that, really? yeah, I mean, that, that, that went away before we rebooted TechSnap. Uh, TechSnap is now, the rebooted TechSnap is doing better than the TechSnap it's replacing because it's just that, that format just wasn't working for folks. So it's, it's going in the right direction, but it did feel a lot like hitting the reset button completely and just sort of, I mean, kind of taking like the DNA of the original product and going in a new direction. I don't know how to put it, but it didn't entirely feel clean because it's like I, if I'm, if I'm spending a ton of effort, boy, I'd love to be building on top of something, you know, building on a success. And in a way I was, but in, not how I actually envisioned things would be when I was coming into doing this job, like coming into being a businessman. I, I, I yeah. picture things going a little differently. I don't disagree with your statement, but it feels a bit like failure in itself, like having to strip everything down and restart.
1: I, I don't think, I don't see that in itself as failure. I mean, I think when you're small, you have very few advantages and being nimble and being able to pivot quickly. That is, is a great like point. Your primary strength. Like, let, let me, let, let me use JB as an example. Yeah, you know, I, Actually, you know I'll I'll I agree use, with that. I know you agree with that. Right. And like, so, but you have a point. I don't think you, I, like, I, I don't think your objection is wrong. I think it's just a different way of looking at it. Like, let me give you an example. I could have instead of doing what I did and trying to, like, expand uh, to... So, like, I had this idea that instead of just doing iOS development, we would do iOS, Android, and uh, the web backends, right? Kind of to, like, be a one-stop shop. There is a very strong argument uh, that I'm still not sure I buy, but, like, if people have said this to me in the past, that what I ought to have done was just hardcore double down on iOS, Right? than iOS only. Not and I I do think fulling around with the hybrid stuff wasn't great uh not because hybrid's necessarily bad. I, I do think hybrid is good for a lot of things. But it I was doing it, I was focusing on hybrid for the wrong reasons. Right. Yeah, I follow. And I could have positioned uh positioned myself in the original company as just a pure hundred percent Apple iOS Mac expertise shop. I didn't do it.
0: Um, do you think it was because it would have required you to be ruthless and fire people and drop clients and things like that? Or was it because it just, you didn't think it was the future?
1: So that's actually something I, I, I want to get into. The reason I didn't do it was because I was stupid. Right now, whether it was, I don't want to get in an argument because I know, I know this is the commerce. We're going to get people saying like, whether Apple and iOS is a good thing I should have targeted or not, let's, let's let's say any technology, right? Let's ignore that. Let's say I didn't do it because I didn't understand, um, kind of getting back to that telling your story stuff we were making fun of before. I didn't understand that the story I ended up telling was we can do a full stack solution, but we are no different than anybody else other than being very cheap which was stupid. But the ruthless thing I it's funny cuz I actually um I actually wanted to put that in in here. I have a line as you see in the doc that says there really are no bad guys, right? Like I did not intend to fail, right? I did not intend to, have to lay people off. Um you know, my clients who I some of which creep scope and cause me problems were not like out to get me, right? Like no one wakes up and says you know, I want to contract with the shop and then I want to change my mind in the middle of the project just to be a jerk, right? <laughs> yeah. Like those people don't exist. I mean, I guess maybe if they were like mentally ill, maybe there is someone like that. But but I do think I was afraid of being perceived as an asshole and as a crook that I didn't be ruthless enough. I, I could have, and this is the part that kind of kind of chaps my ass to this day, I could have prevented this. I would have had to fire or lay off almost everybody doing customer support
0: mm-hmm.
1: in one in one fell swoop, right? It would have just been kind of like a night of the long knives type move. Mm-hmm. I would have had to very aggressively gone to uh, customers who had fixed big contracts that were in distress because they changed their mind or whatever scope reasons. And just thrown down a gauntlet. See, I was I was a little afraid of conflict. I think actually is what happened, and I needed to just say, "Here's the deal: you're above your scope. You can either pay more or not, right?" And I should have just been, yeah, I should have been more ruthless, but yeah. not not in like a conniving right. mean way, but
0: in a in a selfish you know, way,
1: in a way. So one thing I didn't understand.
0: And, and, and hold on, before you go, selfish way yeah. is not necessarily bad. It's your business,
1: right? And and. Like you know a a relationship, a business relationship has to be mutually beneficial, like th- yeah, this is one thing I try to explain to people when they tell me like that they like just like don't have budget to do anything or, or whatever, or you know they you know you always hear about somebody who feels they got ripped off by a web developer, right I hear it all the time, <laughs> and w- what I tell them is, well, I'm sure you're telling me the truth, but The way I view things is, you know, the relationship has to work for all parties. So you can't try to like, like a common thing is, well, I want this other thing that may or may not be in the scope and I'm not going to accept the work if you don't do it. My answer to that today is, okay, that's nice, right? Like, seriously, great. And if you want, I'm not giving you anything back so sue me Mm.
0: Um,
1: and I've also resolved that by not doing fixed bids right I'm getting Mm rid of my last one today actually Mm. so it's it is not wrong right as a vendor to protect yourself it is also I would say to any of you who are like contracting with dev shops if the dev shop begins to lose money they're, they're just like not going to be able to do your project right
0: I wonder and, how, I, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, right, I like continue. you can't,
1: you, you you actually don't want, and this this is something I learned, you never want to rip off a customer, right? You never want to like overbid and pull the wool over their eyes. Yeah. Which is never going to happen anyway because there's always scope proof. But the customer, you shouldn't think of it as a transaction because really everything is going to need to be maintained. And in the best case, if you, and, and this is something I, I, didn't do, but I should have. If someone snows you on a project, like gets you to do like we had one guy who got us to do like 500 hours of work for 150 hours because we misbid something. The right thing to do would have been to just like not do any more work for him. Right. Yeah, that that is the right answer, even if he's in a lurch because he needs something changed in production. Because unfortunately, yeah, I guess I do have to be a ruthless prick. I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah, I think like that is a lesson I learned.
0: <laughs> I think that's um, I think I've looked back at some things in, in, in some of my business choices where I've gone, you know, if I would have, I, you know, if I would have followed my gut back then, I would have had to make a lot of really to the other people would have seemed like heartless decisions. And uh, I think I didn't want to be heartless. I think that's part of it. But I think also it was combined with conflict avoidance. Which played a big role and um, I I do think that perhaps that's something that people perhaps also underappreciate is how the the tendency for us to want to avoid conflict can make us put off decisions that I think maybe sometimes that's why people who have um, some social um, disorders are better at running businesses because they don't have that filter. They don't have that anxiety about conflict. They just say – this isn't working, you're fired. I mean, I, I don't know how else to think about it because when I think about some of the decisions I would have had to have made, they are so gut-wrenchingly mean or difficult that it, to me, was almost just worth having the business not be as successful. And I think in part of it's because of the amount of conflict it would require. And other times it's just simply because I guess I don't want to have to be that ruthless to get the job done. I think that plays a role too. And that's sort of when I get to that that fork in the road. So far, every time I've chosen to take the less ruthless fork. But I look back and I go, I do believe had I been on three or four occasions, I wouldn't call them regrets. But upon reflection, had I gone with my more aggressive instinct, I think I'd probably be in a better financial position or maybe the business would be in a different position. I don't know. But uh, it, it does come sometimes uh, rattle around in my head as I'm on a long drive or something. And it's, I think, something that people going into business need to fully appreciate how sometimes what's holding you back and holding your 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 revenue, your company back, and all of it is you and the fact that you are a bit of a wuss when it comes to conflict because yeah. it's kind of human nature, I, th- I think, for a lot of us.
1: Yeah, I've had to learn how to kind of imp- race conflict and, and and it doesn't happen very often but you know there has and I'm, I'm wondering if this is your experience too there has never been a case and I've been doing this now for 10 years when I saw a deal going bad and not not going head-on and saying this isn't going right we need to fix it this is a process to fix it we're avoiding that very and sometimes very heated conversation right because people, You know, oftentimes fixing things, you have to turn around and say, listen, you asked for 10 things. I need you to write them all up in a document, date it, and then we can, you know, negotiate on what you're going to get. Yeah. Particularly if you're doing fixed scope work. In any case where I didn't do something like that, though, which again, was very uncomfortable. And I mean, I had, there was a time when like one guy was yelling at me, like really, like very, very uncomfortable. But if I don't, when I don't do it or when I hadn't done it, always, always a worse outcome
0: for everyone. Yep, I 100%.
1: And it also helps you separate people who – because, see, part of project management is, like, the client has to manage their own side of the project, right? And it's it's really telling that – like, I've worked with lots of different types of organizations, lots of different types of people. The ones who who work with you and understand that, like, it's a collaborative process – always 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 get the best bang for their buck and the better outcome the ones who think that they're like trying to get everything they can those even if those product projects like ship it, it's not good right because like y- you have no incentive to work with them again mm-hmm. and if they need something you probably are just going to and this is another thing: learning to say no right like you know what this isn't right for us that that's a, again another very conflict rich area
0: yeah. Especially if you're in a position where you need the money or you need that work or you've, you know, you got somebody who's that's their type of work and they're sitting there idle. So boy, wouldn't it be great to bring that on right now? I've
1: done it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a really, that's a challenging position. Uh, and I think it comes back to something that I'm appreciating a lot more in the last, I'd say three months, but I've been working my way there for two years uh, is focus and sort of whittling it down. And every time I feel like I focus in, I realize, oh man, this is a lot deeper and I got to focus in more. And I, I, I think in that process, it sort of, ne- it sort of necessitates a bit of ruthlessness, which I am, I am getting more acquainted with as we go through some of these changes. But it, uh, it's still sort of outside my comfort zone, which I think is a good thing. But I, I've been outside this comfort zone for like a few months now. And I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm ready to kind of bring things back and just get things regular again because now I figured out what the focus is and I know kind of what the future direction is. Uh, but like there's so many ripple effects from the changes that the comfort zone is, is still quite a ways out, I think, which is probably good for now, but it's getting a little tiring.
1: Yeah. I mean, although, you know, I, I don't like the word ruthless. I, I really think it's more assertive, right? Because yeah, okay. Ruthless implies a level of like burn the forest
0: down. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is that I I think the word, the reason why, cause I feel like it, I, you have to almost think of it as being selfish in a way that's, but it's selfish for the business, not yourself. It's like you know what I mean, and I don't. Right,
1: well, let me let me let me uh, let me give you a hypothetical. Then.
0: Okay. If at
1: the end of Q three, the end of Q three twenty fourteen, uh, things really took the turn, right? Yeah. If I had been more uh, ruthless, as, as you say, <laughs> I could have saved the jobs of uh, at least you know seven or eight people. Theoretically, right? Like if if I had turned on you know, products that were not either paying on time or, or had some sort of issue like that, or, you know, any of the things that were just not being done right, maybe let go of people who weren't producing at a high enough level. I definitely could have saved people's jobs. Right.
0: Is that really ruthless or is that, you see what I mean? Like Mm. ultimately I, I, it's not always ruthless. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Sometimes it's, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and,
1: and one thing I, this is, you'll find this funny. I think, uh, People are really good at pretending to be offended by things that they just don't care, right? I I have found that, like, there are some pretty sleazy people in the world that will just, like, act, like, super offended. Like, you're (laughs) – like, telling them they have to pay more for scope creep is, like, you just, like, killed their dog. Yeah. Like, really. Like, and I – you just have to stop caring is, I guess, my thing here.
0: Or reset I, reset your filter on people's uh, reactions, I suppose. Uh, sort of what I've been thinking. I've been thinking about that a little bit too recently. Was, like, a lot of people just throw stuff at me. And re- these last few weeks, I've just been like, oh, you guys. Oh, gosh. Here we go again. And it's like everything. Because it's, it's a freak-out culture these days. And it's just getting worse. There,
1: and there are people for which that's a process, right? Like, I, I... I no longer a client this guy but he had a way that every conversation had to begin with some like outlandish accusation oh man and sort of
0: put he you on to, the defensive so that was that like a negotiation tactic here
1: right so i figured out after like six months of it that he's just trying to put us on the defense yeah exactly he's just trying to like he's trying to yeah. rattle our cage oh
0: man that's stressful too
1: <laughs> and so what i started doing was answering the phone saying you're right i did it wouldn't say hello didn't even let him talk like <laughs> you're on to him. How does he, respond? <laughs> <You're>, he knows <laughs> you're on to him
0: yeah <laughs> and that stopped that so. that's funny well yeah so now what now i mean what's next so that's so uh so it seems like these is, you've been reflecting on this are you incorporating this into future work i mean like where's this go now that's what yeah, i've we, been trying uh, to figure out
1: so I, i've been through very similar to what you've been doing at JP, actually a process of
0: I would definitely say trimming,
1: trying to find focus, you know, relocating to Florida was, was, uh, I think more of a disruption than I would have hoped. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, am you know, I'm trying to focus on one vertical, which is a uh, aerospace and hopefully get lean. Um, I think one of the disadvantages we both have is that the technology market is always moving very quickly. Yes. Um, With I've the also
0: advantage as well. It is an advantage, right?
1: I've also decided that I basically need to target, like, the tech visionaries within these large organizations Hmm. who want to try something new. And it's uh, just because of how small we are right now. It's not worth it to try to go for what uh, what Jeffrey Moore would call the pragmatists, which are basically the people who want you to have, like, an account rep and, you know, all kinds of, like... All the infrastructure around that. Yeah, I didn't even know. all, All the boring crap right Excel sheets things like that
0: yeah yeah the management layer stuff that makes everybody comfy and helps defer responsibility but also tends to lead to very larger contracts but that's like a there's like a give and take there well there's a
1: give and take and, yeah. in, and in the vertical I'm working in it, it, it's such that we're always like subcontracting or co subcontracting so it, it's a little different I mean I've decided no more fixed bids period for any reason
0: out a boy how do
1: um, you I actually ended on Sunday a uh, long time white label subcontracting deal because it just uh things were getting a little too uncomfortable and it it just wasn't uh it it wasn't in the direction I need to be going in.
0: Times be changing for it's, you, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, that's uh yeah, it's and the thing- hey if I go broke I'll Come with you and Lady Jukes and we'll, uh. <laughs> I'm so down for that. We'll just start like Mike and Chris's podcasting. You know what we could do is it's we- Pup crawl. We should, we should, we should, uh, roll the podcasting industry like outsourced development has rolled the development industry. We could do it, Mike. You know what? We could go in there and we could just, work, cause all of these companies are gonna wanna do marketing blitzes on podcasts and YouTube videos and we'll just outsource all of it. We'll pretend like we're part of those companies. We'll totally white label the whole thing. I think you and I could nail this. So that'll be our plan B, okay?
1: I actually think we could. And I'm shocked that that's not already a thing. That it, sounds like
0: it is kind of becoming a thing. But well, I think okay, we still uh, have a chance. We have a chance still. <laughs> holy
1: crap! That's a. Br- if anybody's looking to like start an agency, there you go. That's yeah,
0: yeah. All right, Mr. Dominico. Where do you want people to go throughout the week?
1: uh go to themadbotter.com and uh, follow me at dominuco.
0: I like that advice. That's strong, good advice. Check me out on the Twitter at ChrisLAS. Go check out the TechSnap program. Great companion, really, to this show, TechSnap.Systems over there. And then join us live. You can get our live time at jupiterbroadcastingcom slash calendar. Oh, oh, and give us some emails. Let's, uh, let's fill that mailbag for next week's episode. We didn't do any emails. Give us some thoughts on whatever we talked about today coder.show slash contact in fact coder.show for all of the show's resources including subscribe links links to everything we talked about today and more coder.show thanks for joining us see you back here next Monday